0: Hello, everyone. So good to see all of you. Enjoyed my time in Detroit. Uh, Enjoyed the concert. And how many of you were at the concert the other other night? Yeah. So was it just me or was it weird that there were people actually worshiping while I was playing the Eagles cover? (laughs) I literally saw a guy during Take It to the Limit and I'm like, you can spend all your time making money. And he's just like... <laughs> I'm like, you can't worship to that line. I shouldn't even be playing this song in a church. <laughs> For those of you who weren't here, I'm preparing uh, every New Year's Eve. Our, our worship pastor has a band called the Parson Redheads. And we he does a, a, a show in which they cover an entire classic album from start to finish. Uh, and so he's covering all of Fleetwood Mac Rumors, and, and then I, I'm opening for him, and, and my, my friend Eric and I, we have a full band, and we're doing the entire Eagles' greatest hit, 71 to 75 album. And so, there's just a lot of words to memorize, and I'm asking myself, is this a good use of my time? Uh, which brings me to the message that I want to speak to you about today, uh, which is uh, just the need um, for a center as a church. Uh, the ease um, by which we become distracted and lose sight of what it is that we actually are called to be, what it is that we are to derive our power, um, what it is that we are to derive our passion um, from. And I think one of the challenges in, in, in the church is that it becomes very easy uh, to spin our wheels on the peripherals of the Christian life. Uh, to move ourselves toward what I call selective sanctification, focusing on our performance and our practices, our programs, rather than, uh, rather than deriving our, our life and our, our passion from our center, which is Jesus himself. So what I want to do is I want to have you turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to read one verse, and I'm literally going to focus on four words today that's all this verse actually states 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 23 and i think paul the apostle paul gives us the church our center 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 23 and paul writes these words but That's not one of the four words. We, number one, preach, number two, Christ, number three, crucified, number four. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you as a people that want to hear from you, as a church, we recognize that we are a reconciled community who have been set free to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for you and for one another. That We are a reconciled community who have gathered around you and see you and who you see around yourself. We are a people who have gathered under the, the conviction that your kingdom is coming and is coming in full we are people who gather under your rule. We are people who come to proclaim your great redemptive love to a world that is broken and lost. And so Jesus, I pray that you would help each of us as individual people learn what it means to collectively live with our lives deriving our equilibrium from that center, which is Yourself. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask right now that You would teach us, that You would guide us, for we are Your possession. You are not ours. And we ask that You would bring to remembrance the things that Jesus said and that You would show us what it means to be Your people. Holy Spirit, give me the ability to communicate clearly and concisely Give me a tongue of fire. May this be your word, not mine. May we decrease that you might increase. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray this in your name. And all of God's people said. So these four words, I believe, are the four words that wield absolute authority and power for the church. And yet they're often four words that are neglected. For we make the church about all sorts of things. But... Is our center, is it derived from these four words? We preach Christ crucified. So what I want us to do is I want us to just consider each of these words because each of these words uh, help us explore uh, in, in a robust way what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to be a community of faith. And, and Detroit needs you grace to understand these four words. It does. So we begin with the word we. Great significance in this because it does not say I preach Christ crucified because the expectation often of the community of faith is that the responsibility of proclamation is upon the preacher. That the responsibility of the proclamation of the gospel is upon the professionals who are paid to do so. That you sitting there think, no, you preach Christ crucified. I listen. (laughs) Wrong, sir. (laughs) And if that's what you think, and you may say, well, I don't think that. But do you live differently? Because what Paul begins with is this... Word that declares the responsibility of the community of faith as a whole. What was Jesus' words to his disciples in John chapter 13? He says, The world will know you are my disciples by what? Your love for one another. That... Preaching is more than just declaring facts. But it literally is the pathos of an entire community that has been utterly transformed and revolutionized by the redemptive love of Christ. And that love of Christ brings forth the gospel of freedom because if the gospel is anything, it is a gospel of freedom. And we have been set free from ourselves, that we no longer need to live as the world proclaims that we should live, which is we live for ourselves. This is why the world is marked today by such intense, especially the West, by such intense alienation and loneliness and brokenness. But our completion, our perfection, Jesus says be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, is defined by our Life is being set free from the tyranny of self to now be given fully to God and to others. I have been set free to live for Christ, and to live for Christ means that I have been set free to live for you. And so, we proclaims this great truth that every person in Christ has a role to play in the declaration of the gospel which is a life that is lived in word and in deed. 1 Corinthians 12, 20, it says, As it is, there are many parts but one body. And I believe one of the things that makes Jesus attractive is not the persuasiveness of the preacher, but the unity of the community in sync with what the Spirit of God is doing in a particular place, in a particular time. There's nothing more attractive than to come into into a church and you just sense God is here. God is in this place. Paul even says, I didn't even come to you in, pr- with persuasive words. That he, he acknowledged that he wasn't even a very good communicator. He said that people were complaining that in his letters he was far more bold than he was in person. That there wasn't anything that was that, was that appealing about the way that he communicated. But he says, but I didn't come to you with, with eloquence. I came to you in the power of the gospel. I came to you under the influence and the control of the Holy Spirit, declaring the greatness of Jesus. It's the greatness of Jesus communicated through a community of love that creates an attractiveness to what we have to offer. And that's one of the things I always ask. is like we think about our church and our community, and and we ask when people come in who do not know Jesus, and I'm sure there are some here today that don't know Jesus, What do you sense in this place? And for those of you who are part of the community who know Jesus, does that convict you or does that excite you? You believe that grace is a place where the Spirit of God is, is present and at work. That it's not just a church that's been around for 117 years. Because the longevity of a church's existence by no means determines its effectiveness for the gospel. Portland, Oregon is filled with churches that have survived time, but they're empty. <laughs> it's filled with churches that have people that don't preach the gospel. And is dead. We need the life of Christ communicated through the community. The gospel is communicated through the reconciled community of faith. We have been set free. To live for Jesus and live for one another. And in that surrender to the Spirit who brings freedom into our lives, it is then that the community of faith begins to declare the attractiveness and leave the aroma of Jesus. As we are called into relationship with Him and through Him with one another, that relationship is one of simplicity, sincerity and singleness evangelism is most powerful together and the attractiveness of the message is absolutely dependent upon our genuine self-giving love that can only be derived from christ himself by the power of his holy spirit let me just share a, a story to to exemplify this first word we i am Absolutely fascinated with the history of revivals. And there has never been a revival in church history that has not had an element of open air preaching. And one of the things about open air preaching is that today there's a misconception that if to open air preach is is this idea that when you think of open air preaching, you don't think of community, you think of the lone preacher, the John Wesley, the George Whitfield by themselves out on a lonely street corner declaring the love of Jesus to a world that wants nothing to do with him and, or you, you think of the power and the persuasion of the of the individual that is inflamed with a with a unique charisma to influence and drive draw people together but actually those revivals and the power of Whitfield and Wesley and and Billy Graham and 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 D.L. Moody was that there was never a a, a open proclamation uh, that was not uh, that was successful without the community of faith amongst the people. what was attractive to the people what drew them is that as the preacher was communicating the gospel, there was intermixed within the crowd of, of listeners, many who believed and so I began to think well i 'm not going to go to colonel summer's Park, which is uh, which was two blocks from our old location, which was like the bohemian park in all of Portland. It is literally the place where you will get topless people, topless women smoking weed openly in the day, and I'm not actually exaggerating. Okay, so we, so one day, so we decided we're gonna, we're gonna. Uh, you don't even know how to respond to that because that does not <laughs> happen in Detroit. Uh, so, so I get this idea. What we need to do is, we need to think about, about church, a church without walls, is actually doing what we do as a community of faith, followers of Jesus, learners of Jesus, um, worshiping together, loving one another. Let's take it outside of the church and let's do it in a public setting. You don't need a permit in a city to preach the gospel. Uh, with, uh, if, as long as you don't have amplification, uh, amplification, so I'm like, let's do it old school. In the olden days, if you didn't have a loud voice, you weren't called to be a preacher, period. <laughs> and so, so I'm like, I'm loud. I'm obnoxiously loud, actually. So let's just go into the park, and, but let's do it as a church community. And so we started this thing called Church in the Park that we do, it's Portland, so we do it for three months a year. Um, but it, it's amazing we had two to 300 people show up at this park every Thursday night. We play worship, a huge part of Door of Hope's uh, just ethos is, is this really incredible uh, musical community, most of which have come to faith through Door of Hope. So there's a kind of a uniqueness. For those of you at the concert, I mean, what Josh and I did is, I mean, that is the music of our church. And, and we will play, we'll play this worship. And people, and we're like, we're not there to, like, yell at the, at the pagans or the the, the dirty little anarchist, grungy punk kids that hang out in groups and do drugs and, and the, the, little, the groups of hipsters that are spread out. Because when it is nice in Portland, I mean, everyone and their mother is out in that park. Like, just take it in. Take it in today. May never come back again. <laughs> and, and so we, just, we knew that there is something extremely uh, intriguing about a large group Of people that looked like the neighborhood, with Bibles in their hands, singing songs to Jesus, and every week people would come over and just sit and listen to the gospel we proclaimed. People started coming to our church because we did this, and 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 to the point where there was all these uh, these evangelical and reform blogs, and there was there was lots of conversations about open air preaching happening when I started it, but nobody was actually doing it. They were like, "We think this should happen." I'm like, "Well, why are we talking about this? Do it." What are you afraid of? Portland is the most unchurched city in the United States. And it seems like the least likely place that open air preaching would ever work. In fact, I told one of my dear friends who's a pastor of a large church in Portland. I told him what, he's like, how are you engaging with the culture of the city? I'm like, I'm going to do open air preaching. And he goes, dude, that's just dumb. That'll never work. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because it's dumb. Because the cross is foolishness. To those who are perishing. And I'm like, and I'm going to do it because I need to overcome my own fears of communicating the beauty of Jesus. And I'm not going to lie. The first day that we did it, it was terrifying. <laughs> and what was incredible is our whole church was terrified together. It was like a, it was like a group fear. Uh, like I stood up and everyone, I could just see it. They felt scared for me. And we had people like yelling at us and whatnot. Overall, people were mainly just intrigued. I, I mean, to the point where, this is my favorite story. This brings back the topless girl. So my, my wife and my kids are sitting there. This is so Portland. It's the most immature city in the, in Is we're, we're sitting there. I'm preaching. And there's a woman sitting next to my wife and daughter with no shirt on, just totally topless. And, and she's just drinking, a, she's like drinking a, a Pabst. And I'm like, that is so predictable, you silly little hipster. And uh, um, <laughs> I'm like, that was my dad's beer. Why are you at 21 drinking, drinking that nastiness? Um, and so she's just sitting there topless, listening to the message, and, and, my, and my daughter's like trying to get my wife to look at her and while I'm preaching. I'm like, no, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to give her the signal that we're here for her. Hattie's like, no, she needs to put a shirt on. <laughs> but at the end of the message, the girl walks over to a car. She's, she puts her shirt on and walks over to a car. And this, and like her boyfriend picks her up. And one of my elders was standing by her. And the guy goes, what are all these people doing? And he goes, just a bunch of Christians trying to get attention. <laughs> the irony <laughs> of that statement <laughs> was not lost on me. We, we guys, there's no redemptive quality of that story whatsoever. But the point is, is, there has to be a willingness for us as a community to live out the gospel together, which is how the gospel is truly preached. If, it, if, the, if you are dependent upon the professionals to do the work that is meant to be the work of the community We are not truly functioning as the body of the Christ. And we diminish the value of the church which Jesus Christ himself ordained. Secondly, we do what? What's the second word? We preach. preach. Now what does that word mean? What is preach? Preach is literally, in the Greek, just means to herald. To introduce. What does a herald do? Herald uh, would be someone that would be sent before a king... To announce the arrival of the king. The herald is just simply someone who says. The king is here. And so I think that one of the things that's so intimidating. When we hear the word preach. We think of the spiritual gift of the Holy Spirit. The ability to articulate in a persuasive manner. The realities of Jesus. And the redemptive purposes of the gospel. And to open up the scriptures. and, And to bring meaning and understanding to what God's word says. It's the. We, we think of it almost in terms of that prophetic reality of the one who can say, thus saith the Lord. But the question is, 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 are we not all called to introduce the world to Jesus? Yes, sir. And how effective would our preaching be if it wasn't dependent upon the professional preacher or the one who is uniquely gifted by the Spirit to explain the Scriptures? And, and not everyone is called to be to be, uh, I mean, it says, few should teach in James, but Paul says, all should preach. Few should teach, but all should preach. <laughs> now, we all teach with our very lives, and there's a specific thing that James is getting at, is those who are, who are called uniquely by God to, to lead a community into the truths of who God is as revealed through the scriptures is a unique gift and it's terrifying. And there isn't a Sunday that I preach that I don't still get sick to my stomach and feel like throwing up. Because I know that I am going to be held to a much more extreme judgment. And as a verbal processor who has Tourette's, I know that there's a lot of things I'm going to have to give an account for one day. Um, And that should create a very healthy fear and trembling. Not a fear that causes me to run away from God, but a fear that makes me want to stay extremely close to him. (laughs) But as we preach, what we're doing, and this should not intimidate you, is that if Jesus Christ has truly grabbed a hold of your heart and your mind, if he's truly taken that which is once dead, which is you and brought you into life and freedom, know this, that every human being talks about what they think about the most. That we communicate through our lives what we are the most passionate about. So preaching, I believe, has to do with the, the art of persuasion. And persuasion is directly connected to that which we are passionate about. I always said that I think that my greatest strength as a communicator uh, is not my credentials. I didn't even go to college and I graduated high school with like a 1.7 because I was too busy doing drugs and having fun in dance clubs to pay attention. Um, I even have my dance shoes on today Uh, to pay attention to what I ought to be learning and I blew my education. But when I got redeemed by Jesus and and was given the gift of the Holy Spirit, he gave me a new hunger for learning and a desire to know. And he took this foolish, reckless, young, intense man at 27 years old and he began to feed my heart and mind. And you know what my seminary was? Painting houses in misery because my band had got dropped from our record label and getting saved out of this rock and roll lifestyle and then I became a, a house painter to provide for my family. And I listened to seven hours of sermons every day. Every day. Faithfully. Every day for about three years. James Vern McGee, Chuck Swindoll, uh, Tony Evans. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I, and, and I just listened and I'm like, I, and, and that's what, I was just fed upon it. And, and what God showed me is that is that I can communicate clearly the gospel in in, in The content, the fill of what I communicate, yes, it's increased with time as I've grown in increasing degrees of intimacy with Jesus. But from the earliest day, I realized that it is not that hard to communicate to anyone my testimony. For my testimony is the actual, real-life story of how Jesus reached into the depths of my brokenness... And he brought me to life. It didn't take a neurosurgeon. And honestly, if you actually... I'm reading this a fascinating book right now called How to Talk Like Ted. It's the, it's, a, it's the whole... It's a book that explores the success of TED Talks, which are 18-minute talks on various issues. And the most popular TED Talk uh, in, its, in the history uh, was given by a man... Who used no PowerPoint, 18 minutes? Uh, he, is a, he is a man that was focused on social justice and bringing, uh, bringing a greater understanding to the problems with the prison system. And what was so compelling, he had the longest standing ovation in, of any TED Talk, was that he just simply used real life stories to explain what it, what it was that he was passionate about. It had maybe 5% data. It had 80% pathos, passion, persuasion, conviction. Nobody can deny your testimony. But you see, here's the thing. Preaching is directly, we will only proclaim. This is what, it, what Romans chapter 10 says. It says, how then? Can they call on the one who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Is it the world? God has chosen to communicate the truth of who he is through Jesus and his redemptive purposes. He has chosen to communicate that through broken, messed up people like you and I. And if his desire, if God is actually sovereignly decreed to use broken instruments to carry forth his gospel message. Then we need to pay attention to the fact that this is how he has determined to let the world know about the gospel. Now God, does God reveal himself uh, in other ways? Well, we, we hear stories. I think God is sovereign and that just simply means that he's free to do what he wants. And he does what he wants in line with who he is in the depths of his character. And he loves and he pursues. The gospel is not about a reluctant God and a searching world. The gospel is about a searching God in a reluctant world. And so what we have is this call to preach, which means that we must if, if the world will not hear, if there are no preachers to preach, well, the same goes for us. We will not preach if we do not really believe. So let me ask you, how would you define what faith is? To think in terms of preaching, your preaching, your ability to persuade or to make Jesus attractive is utterly and absolutely dependent upon the actuality of Jesus in your life. that you really believe that this is not just some ideology, some empty ideology that we're giving to the world, but we are actually communicating a living relationship with a God who has pursued us, who cares about us, who on our worst stinking days is crazy about us. If we don't believe that in the depths of our being, we will not communicate to anyone. Or maybe better, you shouldn't communicate. I don't think preaching about a God you don't believe in is very helpful for the church at all. Our persuasion, our proclamation, our heralding is dependent upon our firm conviction. Like the Apostle Paul, I know in whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able There's the depth that comes out of real belief and real conviction. It's not dependent upon you having the, uh, this incredible systematic knowledge base or some sort of seminary training. It comes out of a deep, passionate conviction of a life that has been absolutely and utterly transformed by the living Christ. I always say that faith... Is not, I believe Jesus is who he said he is. Faith, not, I just believe something. Faith is an attitude toward God that allows God to be God in and through your life. It's the difference between, I believe in the Loch Ness Monster. Well, what does that do for you? Nothing. It just makes you dumb. If you say, I believe in aspirin, you're saying something totally different, aren't you? You're saying, I believe that if I have a headache and I take this thing, that it will do something for me. My belief in it is directly connected to an action that actually changes the direction of what's happening. I had a headache and now I don't because my faith led me to do something. It was faith in the ability of the thing to do something for my life. My faith in an airplane is not, I don't believe airplanes exist. My faith is that when I get on my airplane today at 5.30, it will get me from point point. A to point B. Now here's the thing is that I actually am scared of airplanes. So my faith is little. But it doesn't matter. Here's the thing is that I still have enough faith to get on the plane. Because I want to go home and see my wife and kids. Um, As much as I love Detroit. The amount of faith defines the enjoyment of the trip. (laughs) That was a bonus. bonus That had nothing to do with my sermon. Okay. Christ, number three, personality. So we're not just, we're not, it's not just the community, it's not just a, a communication, uh, but the content is something incredible here. Paul says, he doesn't say we preach the gospel, although we do, he says we preach Christ, Now, Christ is personality. We are preaching a person. More than this, we are preaching a king. And if you are called as, as a herald to introduce people to the king, we think about this. If Jesus Christ is truly with you, he says, Lo, I am with you always till the end of the age. He says, When two or more gather in my name, I am there in the midst of them. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But how often do we leave Jesus behind the church when we go out there? If Jesus is really with me all the time, I mean, the only thing that gives me the courage to preach is the real belief that Jesus is with me by his Holy Spirit. And I'm like, Holy Spirit, I give you all my glitches, my my issues, my brokenness, my stupidity, my strengths, my gifts, and you have to make use of it and make it make sense to the people. Without you, I have nothing. They are dead words that fall from my lips to the ground. Doesn't matter what I declare. I need you to infuse it with personal, real, convicting power. A total dependence upon the Spirit of God to teach you and to convict you and to comfort you where you need to be met. But I am preaching personality. I'm preaching a person. And so I think about this. Nothing is, brings out the wrath of my wife faster. And believe me, my wife's wrath, She like, it's like Godzilla when it comes, man. It's serious. She has the gift of righteous anger, um, and and <laughs> and and I deserve a lot of righteous anger. I'll just tell you, I am not an easy person to live with. It's like living with the Energizer Bunny because sometimes you just want to turn the stinking thing off. You don't want it to just keep beating the drum, you know. You want the battery to die at some point. Um, and and so we'll go to a gathering, social gathering, and it's like I. I'll be energized by meeting people, and, and all of a sudden, I'll be talking, and I'll meet someone, and my wife's standing there, and my wife isn't, isn't as outward in a social setting, and, and, man, the couple times, and really, I've only done it twice because I could not bear to go through what I went through again, but forgot to introduce my wife. Uh, yeah, you're like, you're like, man, that's lame. How could you do that? <laughs> um, it is lame. It's lame. It's rude. And that's exactly, she's like, that was rude. I'm your wife. The two shall become one. I am with you. How can you just sit there and talk and act like I don't exist next to you? You do that again, I'll kill you. (laughs) She didn't say that, but it was in her eyes. (laughs) But it hurt her heart. It hurt her feelings. And I think, I'm like, man, that's lame that I would do that. This woman is more important to me than any other human being on the planet. And I'm like, how can I do that to this woman that I have, I have tied my whole life to? My life partner. The one who actually fulfills in all my gaps and, and blanks. The gift of God. And yet, we do it with Jesus every day. Because we don't actually believe that he's with us. But he is, guys. Jesus waits to be wanted. And we, as a community of faith, we can't come together as a church and pretend like Jesus isn't here. We can't go out into the world and pretend that Jesus isn't with us because if he isn't with us then we are the silliest of all people. We are wasting our time. If Christ is not a living reality, this is why I do cannot get my head around the liberal church that is thriving in Portland. I think of specifically the Unitarian Church downtown that's just this massive movement that does not believe that Jesus is actually the Son of God. Does not believe in the authority of Scripture. Does not believe that Jesus is a living presence. Mainly just a, a teacher from the past that we can gain good understanding for how to live. I'm like, Jesus' teaching is nonsense. And actually damning if he isn't who he said he is. <laughs> there is nothing helpful about the words be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect if he isn't going to actually put his spirit in me to accomplish that. Because I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty darn impossible. Um, So we have to proclaim a living Christ. And it is wrong of us to live as if Jesus isn't with us. And if you live like that, then the question I would ask you is, do you know Jesus? Because he loves you. He waits to be wanted. And our success... As followers of Jesus, and what I mean by success is our ability to live life well. Because the hardest thing in life is to live life well. Our ability to live with a a stick-to-itiveness. As I shared with the guys yesterday, to live with a long obedience in the same direction is utterly dependent upon the belief that Jesus is there to walk through life with me by his Holy Spirit. And so we don't preach information We are introducing people to someone who is with us. And people, they believe it when you believe it. Because when you believe it, when you live in dependence upon Jesus and allow Jesus to be Jesus in and through you by his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will convict and convince the world of righteousness, of judgment, of sin. He does it by showing the world the love of God through you. And the transformation that has taken place in your life because I was once lost, but now I'm found. Because I was once sick, but now I'm being healed. Because I was once without purpose, and I was once more inward focused, but now I look out and I see you, who I want to share Jesus with, because I see you in a way that I never saw you before. And that, it gets people, it gets under their skin. Yes, it's true that some people run the opposite direction when they sense the reality of Jesus in you. Because to come into the light takes great courage. But if we would allow the, the light, the church isn't, it, it, should, it isn't, Jesus didn't say, you should be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He says you are. He says you are. This is what we are by nature if indeed our nature is derived from him. And I believe that there should be something tangibly, supernaturally natural about our lives. That there should be an illumination, an exuberance, a charisma, a passion that is, that is from the transformative reality of the gospel that is, that is communicated through us. Um, and, and if it's not there, then something is fundamentally wrong with your understanding of God. E. Stanley Jones said of Jesus, he says, in him we see what man is and how far we have fallen. In him we see what God is and how far we may rise. We have to believe that. Finally, he says this. He says, we don't just preach Jesus, but we preach Jesus what? Crucified. Crucified is, is fascinating. This, this is like, why the cross and why not the resurrection? Because I would say this, that if the, if the gospel is the center of Christianity, the cross is the center of the gospel. Because the cross sits in the middle of everything. For the cross represents two great realities. The costliness of forgiveness. The depths of our brokenness and our inability to save ourselves. It, it reveals the depths of, of depravity. And what sin really is, which is a rejection of God's sovereign rule and a refusal to receive God's grace. Sin, at the end of the day, is simply broken relationship. And the cross represents the depths of that brokenness. But at the same time, the vastness of God's free, sovereign love and elective love. Which I mean by that is that he is free to choose to love sinners in their sin. Which is proved and stamped by the cross of Calvary. People say, why? The cross doesn't make sense. It just seems so, so, tr- I heard a, I heard a critic, I think it was Christopher Hitchens, who said the cross just seems trivial. I'm like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. It's an absolute blatant, just, ignorance around the the sheer brokenness of the world around us. The greatest evidence for Christianity is sin. The greatest evidence against Christianity because of sin, unfortunately, is Christians. This is why we need a deeper understanding of the gospel that it might actually bring transformative realities into our lives. And this is why we don't just preach Jesus. That's what the Unitarian Church does. We preach what Jesus did. Because what Jesus did is what God did. For there is no God, secret God, behind the back of Jesus. To look at Jesus is to have God himself looking at us through human eyes. What is God like? God can never be defined apart from what he has done for humanity. Everything God declares about himself in the scriptures is directly connected to what he is doing for his creation. Specifically you. That's the truth of the gospel. The cross reveals our desperate need. And so we preach Christ. And so our herald is that I introduce people to Jesus and I tell them how I was broken, how I was lost. How I was dead. How I was selfish. How I took advantage of, my, of relationships around me. And how I began to read through the scriptures. And I, and I came to Matthew and I discovered the power of King Jesus. And, and his words were not like any words ever ever spoken by any other man in human history and i came to the conclusion that if jesus isn't actually who he said he is the son of god then i would have to worship the people who created him but that's the that's the catch that's the beauty is no man could have invented jesus for he's he's not like the heroes that humanity creates because his kingdom's totally upside down. You don't introduce the world to a God who empties Himself of all His all His power and authority and enters into the actual broken frailty of hum, sinful human flesh, but does not sin, but in humble service to the world around Him and to the God, the Father, who He comes to re- represent and reveal. He he, he bends. The brokenness of, of humanity back into the righteousness of God, and then through the sacrifice of Himself upon the cross, He gives He gives us the possibility by becoming the One who takes what we deserved into Himself. Judgment, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together, bearing the burden of human brokenness because of God's determination, His absolute refusal to exist. For eternity without you. This is what we preach. And what I want you guys to understand. It is the narrowness of our message. That opens us up. Opens us up. To the vastness. Of God's love. People say. How can you say Jesus is the only way. And I would just simply Say if any key opened the door, the house would not be safe. The exclusiveness of the claims of Christ is what gives us the universal implications. For God so loved the world that he gave whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 sums up the heart of the content of what Jesus did. And this is what we preach. Church, we are called to public confession. And our confession comes through both words and deed. And and it it is words. (laughs) Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. People love to quote St. Francis of Assisi, you know, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. That's just faulty. It's actually wrong. That's a cop-out. Yes, what we communicate uh, is evidenced by how we live. But how we live should be empowered by what we say. (laughs) And so back and forth. You can't have one without the other. It is Jesus went through the land speaking and doing good both in word and in deed. And our call as a community of faith is that we are called to reflect the frail humanity of Jesus. Under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That we might reveal to the world the depths of God's love. Is this what we're doing church? Church. We preach Christ crucified. Say that with me. We preach Christ crucified. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the gospel and its power to transform our lives. We ask, Lord, now that you would empower us. There are some here who don't know your love, and they've never even taken the chance or the risk of talking about you because they themselves are not sure. And I pray, Jesus, that you would just come in power in to their lives, that that by your Holy Spirit, you would be revealed as the one who has come to reveal and restore the reality of lost relationship with the Father. And Lord, I pray that we would all know just the simple truth of these words that whoever believes, whoever confesses with their lips that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead. Shall be saved. And Lord, what we preach, what we declare, is a God who is not willing to exist without us, who has come to save us from the tyranny of ourselves and from the enemy and the darkness that, that so much of the world is, is under. And you bring light and life and hope and peace purpose, and family, all that is beautiful and good, all that we long to have and hope for, Jesus, it's found in you. So may you be our center. And So we together as a church declare, Jesus is Lord. And I'd ask you to say that with me out loud. Let's say that. Jesus is Lord. Say it again with me. Jesus, Jesus is Lord. Jesus Lord. We proclaim that with our lips. We believe it with our hearts. We will live it with our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Love you.